You're listening to For the Record, a Registrar's podcast sponsored by ACRO. I'm Casey Bullock, Executive Director and University Registrar at Weber State University, and this is Organizational Frameworks and the Registrar's Office. Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Record. I'm your host, Doug McKenna, and today we're going to be joined by Casey Bullock from Weber State, who will be discussing organizational frameworks and ways that organizational frameworks can be applied to the registrar's office in order to make better sense of the work that we do. So Casey, thank you for joining us today. Welcome to the podcast. I hope that you are having a lovely quarantine how's everything going for you well uh i think it's going really well um my staff has been fantastic they've been amazing through this entire process um i think by the time we get back we're all going to want to bring our office pets back to the office um (laughs) having cats and dogs on laps and while you're working and it's a nice stress relief It's very soothing. I agree. I agree. I have a 60-pound Bernie Doodle puppy who comes into the office and not to give me love, but to stare at the squirrels in the front yard and bark. So (laughs) I I don't know that she'll be welcome in the office when we get back to in person. So you are at Weber State. Tell me a little bit about Weber State. Where is it? What's the size? What's the student information system? Those types of things. So Weber State is located in Ogden, Utah, which is the northern part of the state, and it's right at the base of the Wasatch Mountains. So right out my window, I've got a, a massive mountain there that we can look up look up to and um, see the snow-capped mountains. It's really kind of a great uh, experience being on campus. But we are a public institution, uh, open enrollment, and we have about 28,000 students. Wow. Uh, we have over 260 programs of study, and we range anywhere from a certificate, Associate of Applied Science, to a doctoral program in nursing. So we've got quite the spread of programs and quite the diversity of students on our campus. Nice. And how big is your office? How many staff are in the registrar's office there? So if we're including all of our hourly workers, we are just shy of 30 in my office. Um, I have nine assistant registrars, associate assistants, and deputy registrars. And then I have enrollment service specialists that do really the the difficult work of uh, processing and getting things in place. I always love the deputy registrar title. It's like you're just walking across campus and you're like, you, I've deputized you as a registrar. Go forth and registrar. Yeah, I, I've wanted really how it works. <laughs> I wanted to get a little star badge for my deputy registrar as he walks around campus. It's awesome. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. Like uh I, I don't know what you would put in that Golster uh uh Keyboard, I don't know. <laughs> That's right. The, the university seal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> All right. So today you're going to share some insight on organizational frameworks. We're going to tie that back into registrar's office and the function of the registrar's office. So from a very high level, can you give me an overview, give us an overview of what is an organizational framework? Why is it important? And then any examples that might help shine a light? Yeah. Um, organizational frameworks is a process by which we view our organization. It's a mental map of how we interpret our environment around us. I, I think a great way to put that in perspective or, or to look at it in a different way is when you look at the movie from Disney, Inside Out. Uh, Inside Out had uh, these different emotions that uh, was in a young girl's head of joy, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger. And each of these characters looked at the situation from a different lens. And so organizational theory and organizational structures looks at the organization from a different lens, uh, different framework uh, to understand how the organization is, is operating. And we know that organizations are very complex uh, and looking at it just from one lens is uh, short-sighted a little bit. Uh, we, we're not seeing the full picture of what's going on. So we want to apply different lenses. And so it's a, it's a mind map of your organization. I, I love that comparison to Inside Out. I feel many of those same emotions dealing with students and faculty and technical issues um, <laughs> on a regular day-to-day -day basis. Okay, so it's a mental map of looking at an organization. Can we talk a little bit about the lenses? So if I look at it one way, it tells me one thing. If I look at it a different way, what does it tell me differently? Yeah, so when we look at the lenses, there's there's what I use is a lot of the work by Bowman and Dill, uh, Lee Bowman and Terrence Dill. And they have yep, absolutely reframing organizations and they narrowed it down to four frames. And I think the four frames are very simple frames uh, and they've got a good way of helping us remember kind of looking at it from the different frames. And so the four frames is a structural frame, a human resource frame, a political frame, and a symbolic frame. And each of them approaches the organization in a different lens, a different way. Got it. I read a bunch of Bowman and Deal in my master's program. I actually have the reframing organizations. It's on my bookshelf in my office. And I'll admit it's been a couple of years since I opened it. Is there one of those frames that you find most effective or are you always giving sort of a blend of those on a regular basis? How do you look at your organization? So that's a great question. And that's an interesting response uh, that I've gotten a lot from my students in my class because I also teach in the Masters of Education program. Nice. Um, so I teach leadership and organizational theory, and that's always where a student wants to go and saying, well, I, I, I think that I'm a, a structural framework person, so I'm going to look at everything from the structural framework. Uh, and that's, that's kind of a way that I am. I, I'm very much structural. Sometimes I say that I have my Spock moments where I'm just 
really in an analytical Spock mode, but I'm very much process procedure structure. And, but what Bullman and Dill have really tried to focus on is that not to just look at one, one framework is that you want to incorporate all four frameworks and have them interact with each other. Uh, an example of this would be, I'm a structural person. I can create a structure that I think will be efficient and be able to get the job done. But if I'm not viewing this from a human resource perspective, I'm not putting personalities into that structure. My structure may fail because it's really dependent on the people that are in that, in that seat. And so you look at Jim Collins' uh, book, Good to Great, where he talked about making sure that you have the right person in the right seat on the bus. And so you can think about structure all you want. You can come up with these straight structural um, organization charts, but it takes a person to sit in that seat. And so you have to think about it from a human resource frame. You have to look at it of what talents and abilities do you have within your office. And sometimes somebody may have a talent or an ability that you want to uh, maximize. And maybe you need to change your structure so that they can be more successful in their role. So if you have somebody who's really talented at building websites, um, it's really got an analytical mind for that. Uh, but your structure isn't in a place to allow them to succeed and to grow, maybe the structure needs to change to allow this person to be more successful in, in what their abilities are. So we wanna interweave a lot of these frameworks together, but we tend to almost have this foundational framework by which we operate from but we want to break out of that and look at it from a lot of different angles. I think that's a really interesting approach. I think a lot of registrar's offices in particular lean heavily on a structural framework. And that makes sense. We are uh, logical. We desire efficiency in processing. We're very rules-oriented. We're very procedurally based generally speaking, as offices in the in the university structure. But I couldn't agree more with the HR considerations. You have to work within the boundaries of the team that you have. We often are limited in our ability to create new positions and hire people in. And so it's really maximizing the individuals who are already on your team and understanding what their strengths and weaknesses are, and then creating structures around those, not necessarily playing to them, but uh, encouraging and supporting their strengths uh, and putting people in the right places. You haven't mentioned the political or symbolic yet. And so I want to talk a little bit more about that or hear you talk a little bit. I don't want to talk about it. I'd like to hear you talk about those two in particular as you're looking at a registrar's office or a university setting. So the political and symbolic, I like to refer to symbolic as a culture. What's the culture of the office? We have... Within the registrar's office, I think a lot of us are very introverted, uh, especially in my office. It's, it's, we have a lot of people in my office that it's like they would prefer to be in their office, 
plug away at what they're doing and uh, they're not very social. And so uh, we have to look at what our culture of our office is and what type of office do we want to be. And so one of the things that we look at symbolically is what what is that energy within the office that um, makes us who we are? That also goes out to uh, the campus wide, the, a lot of the of who we are as a campus. And so at Weber State, we're wildcats. We can persevere through anything, and our students are are very much hard workers, and we have a very non traditional type of student body. And I actually like I like I heard this. I heard this term a while back ago that the, somebody says, I don't like calling students non-traditional. I'd rather refer to them as a modern student. And so our modern students are students who work, have families. They, they're not your traditional 18 to 25-year-old that's going to school full-time living on campus. It's very not much not our campus. And so this symbolic frame of who we are as a as an institution as a university is something that we can kind of rally behind of saying what is that energy that we want to have an example of this a lot of times in the symbolic framework that we talk about is where do the role of sports play into this because that's kind of where the rallying point is and where people have meaning behind their institution and so uh, at Tulane, when Hurricane Katrina hit, they were faced with a challenge of what are they going to do with the sports program? And, and the president at the time uh, wanted to cut the sports program. And that really upset the community uh, to a point that they uh, protested outside of his office because the sports meant so much to them. And we kind of see that today in this COVID environment that we are, is that sports is this rallying point that we have. Uh, it's not who the institution is, but it's a rallying point about the institution that brings that energy of that, we, that we're all around, that, that culture, that who we are. So that culture then kind of permeates into the registrar's office of who we are as a registrar's office. Are we the leaders of the campus that make sure that things are running smoothly and operating smoothly? And so that's definitely a part that we have to bring into it. And sometimes that symbolic frame, sometimes for the registrar's office, is that we say no. <laughs> and, right, right. Uh, and so sometimes we have to look at it from that framework. And, and I had to look at this from my perspective quite a bit during this time because people were wanting answers. People were wanting, um, what do we do? And I had my registrar brain on, which was, well, we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. And so I had to change my perspective because I was looking at this from a symbolic frame and say, what can I do? instead of saying no, what can we do? What can we move forward? How can we make this a little bit easier for people to get through this process of going through uh, virtual classrooms or online environments and making these switches? So I had to look at it from a symbolic frame to really understand like, how can I 
reinvigorate that energy within my own office, but for the campus too, to say, what, what can we offer? COVID has been a fascinating time for registrar's offices. And I'm glad that you mentioned having to shift your point of view on this. The, the number of challenges we've been faced with as registrars and the number of requests that have come in about changes or adjustments or exceptions to policies, all of those, I think, in very real ways have to be interpreted through one or more of the frameworks. Um, there's a political sense on campus that you know we want to play well with others and we want to be seen as an office that is capable of delivering. And that's a consideration, building trust and building other entities on campus's reliance on our office. There's the symbolic, the cultural, as you were saying, uh, we are the office that says, no, we're the enforcers. We're the rule followers. And how do we shift that to say, well, we can't do this, but we could do this or that. And then putting the right structure in place for people to be able to do that and understanding back to the HR uh, framework, understanding the strengths of the individuals within your office. Like, all of that has come to play in the last three months in ways that I think um, it really hadn't in maybe a long time, years, perhaps. So it's been a wild time to be a registrar for sure. Yeah. And the, the interesting part that I've experienced to this is when you have a disruptor such as COVID or, or technology can be a disruptor, whatever that disruptor is, <laughs> Um, you kind of, you have to go back through these frameworks. You have to look at it from different perspectives. The interesting thing from the political framework that I didn't really understand, but until there was a disruptor, I, I started to understand the politics that were happening on my campus. My campus works really well together. It's a great place to work. But when, uh, this disruptor happened, we had a bit of a power vacuum uh, where there's multiple leaders on campus. And so you're dealing with an organization that's very complex. And I had it described uh, campus to me is something that uh, it runs like a city. And so when you look at your your city, that there's different departments, different organizations, they don't always communicate with each other. And so your roads crew doesn't really know what the power crew is doing. And so it's a lot on the campus where we have different departments, different things going on, different areas of leadership. And so we had leadership from the president's office, from the provost, but we also had this shared governance leadership that was coming from faculty senate where they wanted to say in a lot of things and a lot of decisions that were happening on campus. And then you have the office of the registrar. We are the implementation. And a lot of times uh, we can say you can approve whatever you want, but if I can't implement it, it doesn't matter uh, a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in this political frame, what I started to see was a lot of individuals felt like they needed to step in and, and lead. So we had to build coalitions and understanding of who can do what and how it can be done. Uh, 
And so very much my role from uh, being a registrar quickly shifted into a political frame to make sure that the decisions were being made in a way that we could actually operate in. Uh, so I was switching back and forth between a political and a structural framework quite often to really look at this to say, can we accomplish what is going on and what is my agenda as a registrar? And that is sometimes a negative thing to hear is, oh, he has an agenda. And absolutely, I have an agenda. Um, my agenda should be aligned to what the institution's needs are, but I should have an agenda. Um, I should know what direction that we need to go as a registrar's office during a crisis or during a disruptor and be able to understand that from the other frameworks because just because I can understand it from a structural or from a political standpoint, I have to think about my staff can my staff do it? And are they going to be worked to death? I think my staff has had very high stress at this time. I think we've all had very high stress at this time. Uh, just trying to make sure that we can get the things done that we need to. And I had to quickly shift between all these frameworks when this disruptor happened, but that political framework. That was the interesting one because I had to quickly understand what my agenda was and how we can um, help leadership in these other areas because it is shared governance, understand what our agenda was and whether they agree to that or not and use power, persuasion and convincing to understand each, each area's point of view on this. So it was a fascinating exercise as we went through that to understand these different frameworks in that. But that was a really interesting one through this crisis was the political framework of that really changed what I understood my political, politically what my campus was about. It, it quickly shifted because then things got really interesting there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I have a question. How conscious are you of the framing <laughs> of the organizational frameworks while you are thinking about things as part of your day-to-day -day job? Like, it, is it a thing that you just do naturally now, or do you pause and think to yourself, hey, I'm stuck in the structural framework. I need to think of the political and the symbolic or is it, what's that process like for you? It, that's a great question because um, for me now, it's more of, uh, it happens naturally. And so I, I think a lot of people might have read the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. Yep. I know I have. I'm, I'll say, I'll speak for people. Yes. <laughs> Many people have read that book. Yes. <laughs> But the concept behind that is being able to quickly understand. And they and uh, it's been a while since I've read it, and, and I I'm, I'm probably should go back and review it. But I just remember about this statue that people had discovered, and they said, oh, this is a great statue. And this person comes in and says, that's not as old as what you think it is. And he was quickly being able to 
to react to the environment that he was in because he understood it at a level. Uh, he understood these sculptures and these paintings and the techniques that were used that you can say, well, it's not as old. And he did it in a blink, in a, in a split second. And I think that's a point that we get to some of these frameworks is that you, you do it in a, in a quick second and it's just a natural process. But it's not easy at first because uh, if you're kind of stuck into one mode, um, let's say structural mode, uh, it's, and you haven't really delved into a political environment and thinking about it from those perspectives, it can be a challenge to try to get to a point to where you've got your mental map in place that you can quickly switch between these as you go back and forth. Uh, so for me, as I've looked at these, um, I've studied it quite a bit when I was doing my doctoral program. And then as I've been teaching it, it's something that I've been able to switch quickly because I've understood at that, at that level. And when I'm having conversations with like my deputy registrar or my associate registrars that I'm kind of naturally switching between these because I'm trying to look at it from multiple perspectives. Uh, a lot of different lenses to try to see things from, but it takes some practice to do that. It's not something that naturally happens. It does take a lot of practice. How would you encourage someone who has never considered officially an organizational framework? I think some of us have done, you know, we've had forays, ventures into uh, various perspectives and considerations as we address our offices or as we go about our professional lives. But how would you encourage someone who wants to delve into this more deeply uh, to do so? Would they read a book? Would they what? <laughs> well, it's it's always good to read a book. Um, so I, I would uh, mention Bowman and Dill's Reframing Organizations. It's a great place to start. It's they, they did a very good job of writing their, their book. It's, it's a textbook. It's used quite a bit in business and educational leadership and policy type of programs. So I would, I would start from there uh, of reading a book. But what I would also do is kind of get familiar with these different frames and then take a topic uh, whatever topic it is that you're you're looking at doing. And so a lot of us have different um, challenges with the COVID experience that we might be looking at, well, how do we bring uh, students back in the fall or how do we reduce class size? And then take a piece of paper and put your four frames down there. Do a structural frame, a human resources frame, a political frame, and a symbolic frame. And then take that issue or take that uh, challenge that you have in front of you and think about it in each of the frames separately and say, so structural, that might be our natural tendency to go towards of how do we build this structurally? Uh, then we look at it from a human resources frame. Because when, when we're really looking at, like, for, for example, for fall, we need to reduce the to practice social distancing in the classroom but fall registration has already begun um, based off of what we knew at that time and so we have classes of 30 uh, that need to be reduced down 
we need to find a bigger building or not a bigger building, a bigger classroom, uh, or we need to uh, find a way to accommodate this. Can it go on virtually? And so I can think about that from a structural standpoint, but then I encourage us to switch our lens to a human resources standpoint. Who are the people that are involved with this? So we have a faculty member that's teaching the class. We have the students in the class. And then we can talk about all the different types of academic identities with the students. And so you might have uh, students who are veterans, students who are athletes, students who have um, needs that have to be met by a certain type of class that they need to take. And so that kind of can determine what we can do with that class uh, and how we can approach it. And so, as I said, we have a lot of modern students on our campus that have work schedules, have family responsibilities, that have a lot of things going on. And so we can't just switch a time on them. That's, that can just really kind of uh, mess up their entire schedule as they uh, had been trying to plan. So we, we take that and switch it into these different areas. And then we look at it from a political standpoint of what coalitions do we need to make uh, to ensure that we can get this through? And so we're really talking about faculty senate. Are the faculty on board with the approach that we're taking? Are they going to have buy-in? Are they going to support us in that? And then the symbolic frame is looking at it from a symbolic standpoint. Is this, is, how is this going to affect our culture on campus? Can, can we maintain culture? Can we maintain the support that we've had for students? So one of the things that we pride ourselves in quite a bit is that we support our students, that we're there for them. But when we move a class to a virtual environment or a hybrid type of situation or we expand out a class so that there's more social distancing, what does that cultural support mean now? How do, yeah. we, how do we reach out to those students? And so that's how I would encourage people to do it is just take a situation and divide it out into the four frameworks and go through each of them and say, what do I need to know if I'm looking at it from a symbolic or political or human resource or structural framework? Yeah, that's a great suggestion of an exercise to help people practice each, in, incorporating each of the four frames into sort of their normal assessment of a situation or a process. It's good. I also love the modern student moniker. I think that's a great descriptor. Uh, it's a much more positive description of a student than, oh, they're non-traditional. Well, thanks. Thank you. Uh, so modern. Yeah, let's make that happen. Modern students. Yeah, I, I heard that at the SEM conference. Uh, back in last fall, and I nice. remember who came up with the term, and I, I and I apologize to the person who came up with the term that I can't remember who it was, but I it did have a lasting effect on me. <laughs> if you're listening and you coined that phrase, send me an email and we'll add your name and information into the show notes. Ta-da! See, <laughs> Casey, this is super helpful. Are there other any other examples or exercises or tidbits of knowledge or wisdom that you want to pass on about organizational frameworks or assessing a situation through the lenses of each of the different frames? So the, 
the one thought that I have about this is we can look at it from an organizational framework perspective, but then we have to consider our leadership style. How does our leadership style incorporate in each of these um, organizational frames? And my one thing about leadership style is we do the same thing that we have the tendency for organizational frames, that we stick to one style, that we say, this, this is my leadership style. This is what I'm doing. Uh, just as we need to shift frames um, at viewing our organization, we need to also shift frames on how we look at it from a leadership style perspective. And so I would also encourage that because these things go hand in hand. Once you understand the complexity of your organization, you can come up with a style of leadership that's best going to be suited for uh, that situation. And your leadership style may change based off of what situation that you're in. So going back to Tulane, um, there's a great book called Winnebago's on Wednesday, uh, written by Scott Cohen, who was the president of Tulane during the Hurricane Katrina. And one thing that he looked at as he was going through uh, that crisis was that he had to be a benevolent dictator, which I love that term, a benevolent dictator. Um, which meant that he had to be in a position where he had to have a certain leadership style to help get them through, but it wasn't, uh, he understood the complexity of the situation. So when you're looking at the frames, you also need to match what leadership style is needed for that. Now I'm not telling everybody to be a benevolent dictator or anything, but, (laughs) but I mean, if you're going to be a dictator, you might as well be a benevolent one. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But when I've looked at this from like a human resources framework in my structure, uh, I realized that for some people on my staff, I needed to apply different leadership style for them to help them be successful. So where one person on my staff, um, I can take a very laissez-faire leadership style. It's pretty much what can I do to support you? What can I do? How do I just get out of your way so you can do your job type of situation? And then I have other people that need some more support for that, where I've asked them to do something where they don't have the foundation in it. And so how do we build up a foundation? And so I I have to take a more of a coaching style of leadership that I'm looking at of coaching them up to get to a point to where they can kind of fly on their own in the situation. Uh, So, these things all go hand in hand. And there was a paper like 41 years ago, uh, (laughs) Miller, uh, the practical art of using theory. And it's a, I, I gave it to my class and they came, they came back and they were like, they just had like these deer in the headlight looks because it was a heavy reading for them. It was pretty, pretty dense, but I, once I tried to help interpret it for him a little bit is that the art of using theory, the practical art of using theory is uh, you remember these, I remember these old toy. I, I don't know if it's a toy thing, but it's, it's got all these pins in it and you can put your hand into it and you can see the contour of your hand. Or oh yeah. When, when I was a kid, I'd like to put it on my face, you know? Yeah. You mush your face into it. Yeah. Exactly. So taking kind of this um, contouring pin type of uh, situation, they they talk about this in the uh, practical art of using theory, 
is that each of those pins is a theory. And so you get a more complex understanding of the contour of the, of the environment. And so as you apply different thoughts, theories, and those type of uh, situation to your situation, you start to understand a better approach or a better understanding of, of how to help your staff, how to help the situation. And so these four frames are just four frames. Um, there's multiple ways that we can look at things. And so there's also a leadership side of things that we can look at it. And so as we add more and more theories, we get a better understanding of the contour. And that's kind of something that I found um, with a lot of master students and doctoral students is sometimes they stick to one theory. They say, this is my theory. I agree with this theory. And then they put blinders on to all of the theories because it's not this one theory. We, we often talk about Tinto in higher education and he gets criticized um, because his theory was based off of a certain group of students, um, a white male population of students. And we say that well, that can't be generalized to everybody else because it was based off of a certain group. And so but he did get a conversation going. He does have a perspective that we need to include in our analysis. But then we bring in all these other researchers to say, okay, now we've got a better understanding of what it means of why students are leaving college or why we're retaining students or how to retain students. And so when it came into this registrar's world of using these frames and these leadership theories, is that the more theories that we start to understand, the more uh, complexity we start to understand, we're better prepared to handle the situation. Right on. I love that idea now of multiple theories as the thing that you're mushing your face into. Like if you're just using one theory, you just have one pin. It doesn't look like your face at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Casey, Thank you so much for sharing some thoughts today on organizational frameworks. This has been really interesting and I think will be really helpful for people as they assess what we're doing as registrars moving forward, um, especially in response to the major disruption of the COVID-19 pandemic. So I appreciate you taking some time today to chat and I hope you stay well. Enjoy the mountains. This has been really fun. I'm glad that you asked me to do this. Thank you again to Casey Bullock from Weber State for sharing his insight on organizational frameworks. There is an extensive works cited page in the show notes of today's episode in case you want to dig up some Bowman and Deal for yourself. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes of For the Record. We have a number of good episodes coming up. I hope that you will tune in and give them a listen. Until then, stay safe, wash your hands, drink plenty of water, stretch your legs. I'm Doug McKenna, and this is For the Record.